All right, welcome to Legal Tech Week for uh, January 29th, 2021. Uh, this is the uh, weekly program where we talk about the top news of the week in legal tech and innovation with our panel of legal tech journalists and bloggers and experts. Uh, I am Bob Ambrogi. I uh, write the blog Law Sites and have the podcast Law Next. And uh, our usual suspects are, are here this week. Uh, want to go around and introduce yourself? Molly, you want to kick it off? Sure. I'm McDonough. I am a media strategist, a producer, and blogger based in the Chicago area and former editor and publisher of the ABA Journal. Nikki? My name is Nikki Black. I am the legal technology evangelist with My Case Law Practice Management Software. I am a legal tech journalist as well. I write for the uh, legal tech columns for the ABA Journal. Above the law, the My Case blog and also the Daily Record, which is a legal publication here in Rochester, that Rochester, New York, that's syndicated nationally. Um, and it's cold here. I don't know about you guys, but it's oh, pretty cold so, here in upstate so cold New York. Here today. <laughs> uh, Victoria. Hey everyone, my name is Victoria Hutchins. I'm a reporter for Legal Tech News, where I cover technology, how lawyers use it, cybersecurity, and regulations. Um, it's also cold in Philadelphia, just as so everyone knows. And um, I look forward to talking to you guys about legal uh, legal week year. It was always sunny in Philadelphia. That's what they say, but not really. <laughs> Steve. I'm Steve Embry. I write the uh, blog Tech Law Crossroads I'm in Louisville, Kentucky, and it's cold here today. But <clears throat> I did want to ask, uh, it seems like our esteemed host once passed for Mick Jagger. Is that right, Bob? <laughs> <laughs> sure looked like it from that post. <laughs> I should have posted that picture a long time ago. I had no idea compared to Mick Jagger. And... <laughs> Um, Zach. Yeah. Hey there. I'm Zach Warren, not Mick Jagger. Um, I don't think I could pass for Mick Jagger. It wouldn't work that well. Um, but I'm the editor in chief of ALM's legal tech news. Uh, you'll see me on other ALM sites like law.com, the American lawyer, et cetera. And next week, probably all over legal week. And, uh, Joe. Hey, uh, Joe Patrice from above the law. Um, I'm frank, if I looked like I wasn't paying attention, that's because I was frantically typing something that needs to be published. But now I am all yours, uh, adoring audience. Victor, last but not least. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Victor Lee. I'm associate, I'm sorry. I know my own title. I'm assistant managing editor for the ABA <laughs> Journal. It's one of those days. Um, uh, I cover the business of law and technology. Uh, it is beautiful balmy weather here in Chicago. Um, <laughs> yeah, we only have like six inches of snow on the ground. We're probably going to get another six this weekend. So looking forward to that. Little fake news from the uh, editor of the ABA Journal. Uh, and Caroline Hill, who's usually here, is not going to be able to be here today. Uh, but um, so to kick things off, you know, uh, we, we, uh, we're going to try something, by the way, we're going to try something new in this episode uh, later in the episode. We're going to do a little uh, rapid fire rants and raves, go around and uh, ask everybody for a, a rant or a rave from something in the news this week. Uh, so stay with us for that coming up later in the show. But 
since next week kicks off legal week or legal week year or legal week decade or century or something, we're not quite sure what. Uh, and and we have uh, an official uh, ALM representative sitting here on, on the call in the form of Zach Warren. Uh, I don't know, you want to give us a little call. little heads up on what we should expect or how it's looking or what it's going to be? I'm scared by the official title right there. Uh, <laughs> I, I will actually say I'm on the editorial side of the business. The events is a separate thing, but I do work with them for content and stuff. So I guess, and they did send an email out this week with my name on it saying, come to legal week. So that's probably about as official as I'm going to get. Um, no, I, I think it should be interesting. And I think interesting in a good way, because obviously it's virtual. That's completely different. We've been to a bunch of virtual shows at this point, but I think the quality of the speakers in particular that they've gotten for this show is really high. Um, there's a lot of law firm. There's a lot of corporate in-house. They put a high emphasis on diversity of speakers, both in terms of who they are as well as their own backgrounds. Um, there's a wide array of different topics as well. I know Legal Week in the past has been rightfully criticized for being an e-discovery e heavy show, but while there is still some e-discovery, they've placed a real emphasis on a lot of other elements of legal tech as well, like research, like cybersecurity, privacy, et cetera. And I think you'll see that reflected in the agenda. Um, and I also got a tour of the platform they're going to be using a couple days ago. And there's some cool stuff in there too, like the ability to have virtual swag bags um, for vendors to entice people to talk to them, uh, the ability to send out invitations right from within the platform to actually like have virtual meetings without having to go anywhere or set up Zoom. Um, so I, it's going to be different. It's definitely going to be different. There's no getting around that. But I think they're making the best out of a bad situation. And I, I don't know, I personally am excited for it just to kind of see how it all turns out. I, I guess I'm sort of official myself because I've got, if I go to the Legal Week homepage, my interview is right up there. For my Law oh. Next interview with Mark Free is nice. posted right there on the front page. So that's kind of cool. Uh, <laughs> but what is a virtual swag bag? That's what I want to know. That's a good question. So when I got my tour of it on Wednesday, there on the left side of the page, there's basically just uh, the, uh, what not itinerary, but um, everywhere that you go in the site. And there's a button for a virtual swag bag that apparently takes you to an external site where they set up just giveaway, uh, different people are having giveaways. Um, I know actually Molly and I were on Ari Kaplan's lunch earlier and some of the vendors that were on that call were talking about the different giveaways, not even necessarily like actual things like you'd pick up at a conference, but a year-long subscription to a service or a certification at no cost for e-discovery or something like that. Uh, different ways of having swag bags like you'd have throughout a regular conference. And yeah, I, I actually, also about, oh, oh. Well, I, I was just going to say they were, to follow on that, they were really excited. Uh, and it's the first time I've seen vendors excited about a conference, <laughs> like vocalize it. So, really? I, so I'm going to be paying more attention to that part 
just to see what the engagement is like. And Nikki, you might want to just check it out because I, I was surprised. And there, there was one vendor I wasn't as familiar with who said he'd been working with some of the ALM's other virtual events recently and is, has been um, very pleased with the um, engagement. Yeah, and I can also vouch for the uh, swag bag, uh, swag uh, section. Like I even signed up to, oh, maybe get like a free iPhone on the iPhone, iPad. And it was also interesting to see, I think one of these um, vendors had like a discount on some services that they can provide, which I thought was really cool and kind of keeps with the brand of, hey, you come here and we can also provide like e-discovery. And that's kind of like the brand that Zach was mentioning er earlier about like being, um, providing like e-discovery insights. It was really interesting and kind of like a cool way. And it did kind of stick out to me um, when I kind of compared it to other legal tech shows that I've seen. I kind of wondered like, does that encourage like um, people to uh, participate and kind of like help to differentiate yourself, not just getting something free, but kind of seeing like, oh, these options are available. Yeah, I'm still missing t-shirts and socks, but maybe we'll get those next year. <laughs> yeah. I'm running low on my supply of vendor clothes. Uh, I've got an Ilta bag right next to me. And actually I've got uh, passes from all these years and a little sad, I'm not gonna have an in-person pass to add to my collection this year, but eh, maybe ALM will send me something. Yeah, I was, I mean, I was surprised. I, I was looking at the agenda. I did, I registered and then I thought I would get some link to like make, check out the platform or something, which I guess I can't do yet. So I haven't seen the platform, I but thought it I was looking at the agenda today. and I thought the yeah. agenda was pretty still heavy e-discovery stuff. I mean, there are, it's not all e-discovery, but I was surprised at the extent to which it was focused on e-discovery um, this year again. So yeah, maybe I need to look more I, closely. Some of that, I mean, the realities of sponsorship and a lot of sponsorship still being e-discovery companies. Um, but I know they at least... It was a thing last year. I don't know if it was still a thing this year that they tried to require on every sponsored track, even if you are an e-discovery company, at least one of your sessions, if not two, has to be something non-e-discovery. Um, so they're trying. Yeah. And then I saw the avatar, the EDRM is doing something next week also, bringing back the avatar-based virtual conference world that we all checked out a little I'm while ago. I'm super excited. I already what, signed up. <laughs> I haven't signed up. What are they doing? Do you know what it is? Yeah, I didn't. I haven't heard of this. I'm not sure. I just want to run around with an avatar again. I don't know. If I can just take a boat ride, I'll be happy. <laughs> but is it up against Legal Week at the same time as Legal Week? It's, it's the Monday. It's um, the first and the second. And I think Legal Week starts the second, second to the fourth, yeah. Yeah. if I recall. So it's a little uh, bit of an overlap, maybe. But um, I mean, I'm not planning on attending every Legal Week session. I picked a few that I really liked and calendar them. And um, I'm going to, I can't wait to get my avatar shoes yeah. on again. <laughs> yeah. I hope our old avatars are still there because it would take me way too long to design that over again. Um, all right. Well, any other thoughts on uh, legal week or avatars or conferences or uh, well in the, in the news this week, um, a little bit of a, a quiet week again, but a couple of things. One is uh, we were just talking a little bit before we started recording about uh, a story we meant to get to this week, last week, that kind of got brought up again uh, this week. Uh, Nikki, you were going to bring it up last week and Molly was going to, then it was brought up again this week on Above the Law about an ABA ethics opinion about uh, 
negative online criticism. So I don't know if Nikki or Molly might, who's best to address well, that? Molly, or if you can, wanna, Molly yeah. can start and I'll um, add my twist to it. How about that? Molly I'm going to defer to you since you wrote about it. <laughs> well, that's okay. Cause I published, I put something else up I can talk to instead. Why don't you take it? All right. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I uh, wrote about it two weeks ago and it's, it was just an ABA, the ABA, um, uh, let me find the link. I can't recall the um, opinion number off the top of my head, but basically the ABA um, wrote, uh, I've got uh, it right here published somewhere. an opinion. Um, 496. Okay, yeah, four, yeah, yeah, 496. And I'll put a link to my post about it. My post just, it's a article that I wrote that really just described it. I didn't really add my take on it, but it, it um, essentially they provided guidance to help lawyers understand how to respond to negative online reviews. And um, it generated a surprising amount of um, uh, controversy, I thought. Uh, you know, the, I, you know, I practiced law for over a decade and I thought that the, and I feel like I've got a pretty good understanding of the online world and social media. I wrote a book on social media, so I, I feel like I get it. Um, and I thought that their suggestions were not exactly off the wall and crazy, you know, and I feel like depending on the client, depending on the, the circumstance, they provided different suggestions uh, that would fit the bill. So if you have a client that just hates you, you know they hate you, you know they hate the outcome, you've already tried to fix things and they go and complain, that's a perfect situation in my opinion, just to say, listen, I can't discuss this with you online due to confidentiality issues, please give me a call. And whether they give you a call or not, whatever, at least you've addressed what they said online in a way that is respectful. And then they also had um, provided other ones, uh, other options that I thought would fit the bill if you had a client that was unexpectedly surprised, you know, that you didn't realize, uh, you were surprised that they were um, unhappy. You didn't realize that they were unhappy, you know, ways of dealing with that. Um, I thought that they provided real world alternatives that you could apply given different situations. I didn't really find it to be super um, pie in the sky, people who aren't used to the internet Say, um, providing options that are unrealistic. But that seems to be what a lot of other people thought of the opinion. They thought that it was a bunch of people who, who wrote, the people who wrote the opinion just didn't, weren't grounded in reality. Was what a lot of commenters um, said both on Twitter and other social media outlets and also in articles that they wrote about it. Um, a lot of people that are very, um, uh, there are a lot of practice management advisors, you know, people that are not themselves that themselves have a really good sense of what lawyers deal with. So I don't know why there's such a disconnect between my assessment of the opinion. Um, and like I said, my article that I wrote about was just a factual description of what the article said. And I didn't go into the fact that I thought there were good options, but I do think they were good options. And so I'm not entirely sure why uh, it elicited such strong opinions, such a strong reaction from some people. And I'd be interested in seeing what you guys think about some of the recommendations in the opinion, and maybe I'm missing something. Happens. The only thing I would <laughs> add was that the, the, the above law took a, 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 a similar take on it, except they, they took um, positions on it. And I thought it was a really overall, my takeaway from that is there's really not a satisfying way to deal with this. Um, and, you know, but the options are 
pretty much the best you can hope for and protect client confidentiality as a standard. So I thought that was pretty interesting, but it's just, you know, dealing with online negative comments is not going to be satisfying, but being able to say something like, give me a call is, is a reasonable choice. Um, I thought that one of the reasons I wanted to kind of see what other people thought about it was I thought that some of the discussion on Twitter was interesting with kind of the firm never do anything, only call the client to resolve any issues. I see in the comments that Mark, Mark Palmer and, and uh, Carolyn Elephant both also wrote on this. I, I haven't read their pieces on it, so I don't know what their takes on it are. Uh, but I was kind of surprised that uh, in in the uh, nowhere did the ABA opinion uh, mention the phrase Streisand effect, which I, I think is a, one of the issues to be thinking about here. I mean, if you end up uh, responding to online criticism, it sometimes uh, is is the worst thing you can do because it it begins to build on itself uh, and uh, make the criticism uh, heard even that much more broadly. Um, I actually thought the ABA opinion was fairly reasonable in the sense that it said, uh, you know, you, you can at least post something saying, I'd love to respond to this, but I can't because of ethical rules. Um, I mean, I, I would think you might even be able to go a little bit farther and say, I disagree with this, but cannot elaborate on why because of ethical rules or something like that and leave it at that. And that's probably that's probably the best approach anyway, as opposed to getting into nitpicking with, with somebody in some kind of an online battle. I think that's one of the things that I, I liked about that option is that if, when I started, to, when I step back and think about what it is as a consumer, I get out of online reviews, especially hotels, um, seeing a responsive management matters to me. Right. So seeing no one's ever going to be happy with anything, with everything all the time. So complaints are not, I'm not, I would actually be more surprised if there weren't complaints, but seeing that the management is responsive matters to me. So to me, it would matter that the lawyer or the law firm is responsive. Right. Don't have we're to sorry that you didn't like the cockroaches in your room, but we're glad right. you stayed here. And but, you know, of course, the part of the practical problem is, is as we all know, I mean, if something goes wrong, people are apt to, to write about it. If everything goes well, people generally don't. Right. And, you know, unlike uh, a product, you know, where, where some people will go out of their way to say, I really liked your product, you know, for, for lawyers and law firms, it's kind of, um, somebody is probably not going to do that unless you ask them to. And, you know, it feels a little funny, which they would, would you, would you mind putting a nice review on online for what I did for you? Um, so it's it's kind of puts lawyers in a bit of a lurch. I mean, I, I'm like you, Molly. I look for responses, and then I tend to factor, okay, how many how many total responses are there, and how many negative versus positive? Because you know, I figure that more people are apt to say bad things than good things, so you have to take it with a grain of salt. But you may not see that as much with lawyers and law firms, and a lot of the public may may react the same way. Oh, there's negative comments and not many good ones, so it must be bad. Thing is, yep. too, though, kind of to your point of it may be awkward to ask for positive online reviews. I think just kind of across the board, that's starting to become more normalized, though. Yeah. Um, people are understanding, particularly for small and solo firms, that 
the first point of contact usually is Google or a website. And if that is the case, then I think it makes a lot of sense for somebody at those firms to say, hey, you found us. If you're happy with our service, help others find us too. And it can be kind of framed in that way. It doesn't have to be like a sales pitch as they're going out the door, just something friendly. Yeah. And I think a lot of the, a lot of the commentators, you know, that, that are advising small firms are, are recommending that. I see that a lot in the literature that, you know, you need to make sure you ask your client to do that, but there's still a lot of lawyers out there saying, I don't want to do that. Some of the, well, some of the practice <laughs> management apps do that automatically now. Some of the, the, the yeah, CRM yeah. applications, just yeah. as soon as you conclude a matter, it sends out a little, uh, you know, uh, message to the client saying, uh, if, if you like what happened, you know, write, rate us favorably here or something like that. I mean, um, and of course, you also have to remember the, the general reluctance of lawyers to ask their clients how they did, how well they did. <laughs> right, right. Well, that's, I don't uh, want to ask my client, no. Right. At, le- at least of, until they pay that last bill. <laughs> a lot of um, firms are starting to realize, get, understand the sales cycle, if you will, and understand that, uh, you know, when I was practicing law, you just would, there weren't, there wasn't really such a thing as closing, at least that I was aware of, a closing letter for a case other than just sending out the final bill, you know, but you can, you, there's these touch points where you can close the case with this letter that includes that in it, but it, it's really more of just a way of thanking the client for letting you handle the case and um, appreciating their business and, and then including that in there and then remembering their birthday down the road or there some, uh, part of, you know, something that's notable or, or noticing that they made the news and sort of having those follow-ups so that that can ultimately be a referral source. And I think lawyers are more and more often thinking of the sales pipeline, if you will, in that way. And it's not a way that they ever thought about it, but so it becomes more natural. If you include a closing letter that doesn't just say, hey, write a review, but it just sort of is a sum- sum- summarizes the case and, you know, the, lets them know that you appreciate them and you know, if you frame it that way, I think that that's a really strategic thing for lawyers to do, especially because online reviews do matter so much now. Yeah. One thing and it can combat the negative of, ones. Well, I mean, one thing that a lot of marketers will, will, will tell you is that like, you know, like when, 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 when you do send out that, you know, either the final bill or the final, you know, whatnot, you know, I'll, I'll ask them, A, you know, please, please, send, please do an evaluation if, if you would like, but also you know, how likely would you be to recommend me or refer a friend to me or that kind of stuff. And so, so that way you can then also track like to see like, you know, how, how effective your, you know, how effective your engagements are, how in fact, you know, like the impact that you're having with clients to see if they're willing to, to, um, you know, refer friends and family to you and whatnot. So, you know, I mean, yeah, it, it I think, I think, I think, I mean, I didn't follow the, the, you know, the, the back and forth amongst, amongst people online regarding this opinion, but I think, you know, sort of maybe, maybe the reason why people had such strong feelings about it or, or why it generated so much discussion is that like, you know, it's like people keep telling you over and over again, no, you have to be proactive. You have to be, you have to be responding to these negative reviews, even if it's, you know, even if it's, even if it's a very pro forma, like, you know, uh, you know, I disagree with your with your assessment, but I'd be free to, but I'd be willing to set up a time to, to speak with you about it, blah, blah, blah. Because yeah, like Molly was saying, if, 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 you know, I as a consumer go to, go to a bunch of reviews and see, you know, a negative review that's completely ignored or, or not, or not, um, you know, not, not dealt with by management, or whatever, then I assume it's true. Or I assume that there's nothing that, that they could say to defend themselves from it. So, you know, then you have to weigh it against all the good ones, obviously. You can't, you're not just going to let one bad review, you know, 
you know, make a, you know, kind of dissuade you from going with someone if you see like 50 good ones. But yeah, I mean, I mean if you see something, it's, it, it's almost like, you know, what, what you're not supposed to do as a criminal, uh, you know, in, in a criminal court setting. It's like if, if the defendant doesn't, doesn't um, testify, then you're not supposed to draw any inferences from that. Well, in this case, well, if, if management doesn't, doesn't respond to it, then most people will say, oh, well, they must be guilty of it. Yeah, of course, part of part of the problem, too, is that, you know, as when I was practicing law full time, I mean, there were clients, the minute they walked in the door, I could say this, this client's gonna be trouble. I mean, I can just you can just tell. And, you know, so many lawyers in the vetting process, I think, say to themselves, well, this client's going to be trouble, but but I need to work, uh, not recognizing that by doing that, they subject themselves to risks of poor reviews online when, you know, they, they probably did what they could and the, and the fault lies with the client. But there's a lot of, believe me, and, and more than my fair share problem clients for the same reason I've just said, not being able to say no. <laughs> yeah, we should probably move on uh, to some other, some of the other stories in, in the news this week. Uh, and uh, one that both uh, I and Victoria wrote about is the uh, the latest move in the Westlaw or Thomson Reuters versus Ross uh, litigation. Uh, I, I see that Andrew Aruda is in the audience today, so we, we have to say nice things about Ross. But uh, I, I think it's a really interesting uh, move. You know, they they uh, Ross has. You know, early on, right after Thomson Reuters sued Ross, what was it, last April or May, uh, Ross said they were gonna they were gonna uh, fight this uh, to the death to some extent, and uh, they have certainly been aggressive in doing that. And I think their latest move is really interesting. I mean, they've come back with a counterclaim, uh, basically claiming that Thomson Reuters is engaged in. Uh, 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 anti-competitive, monopolistic, uh, restraint of trade tactics. Um, and uh, I, I wrote about that early this week. And then Victoria did kind of a second day story on on what some people in the, well, you could talk about it if you want, Victoria, but what some people in yeah. the industry think about it and whether they perceive it as being uh, monopolistic. But what you, you want to talk a little bit about what you wrote about? Yeah, um, definitely. It was kind of like a second day story to kind of see like, what does the legal research industry, what do they think kind of like of these counterclaims that Ross is um, alleged against um, Westlaw. And of course, you had some sources in the legal research um, uh, community that said, hey, I can't talk about this It's a little bit too close to home. But I was surprised from um, about Jake Heller from Case Text, his candor and saying, you know, it is a monopoly, like they are dominant does make it harder for other platforms to kind of like innovate and get into the space and have access to documents. And kind of like some other people weren't willing to necessarily say that, but kind of like they do have a stronghold. But at the same time, like those same companies are also legal research platforms. You see the growth of Fast Case in the last acquiring companies and case techs um, doing something that's a little bit different with still being legal research, but also doing like document drafting and like automating some of that features. And uh, Westlaw might be the biggest player in there, but you still have LexisNexis, Lexis which is a huge player as well, and Bloomberg. So of course there may be dominant forces, but I think to just say like no one can necessarily like grow or have a space in um, the uh, sector I don't know if that's 100% true because you see that type of growth 
it'll definitely be interesting to see how those claims go like in the court but it's interesting that some people were a little bit candid and they were at least willing to say they have tendency monopoly at tendencies but you know not necessarily except for jake you said they were yeah i mean i i think there's no question that that thompson reuters or, or westlaw holds a a monopoly position in the market but i think the question is whether it's an unlawful monopoly yeah. whether it's one where where they can be called to task for it uh, you know i think th clearly just because of their their history uh you know and 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 their uh the relationships that they established with courts over the years uh they clearly have a, a a very strong advantage uh, and can't be denied. You know, fast case is an interesting uh, uh, question. I mean, I, I had uh, after after they acquired Casemaker, I, I had the Casemaker and fast case people on my podcast, and I I asked Ed Walters. I said, so you know, you're always talking about kind of busting the the big law, the, not the big law, the 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 Wexus uh, monopoly of, of Westlaw and Lexus, and I said, are are you now becoming a monopoly? I mean, they claim to have like more than a million lawyers that are subscribers of theirs right now, uh, and you know his answer is, well, well, no, because we we support all these other startups. We make our stuff available to them. We're we're not trying to impede innovation by other companies. We support innovation, which is true. I mean, they do actually make a lot of their you know they they, they help support a lot of these other companies. Um, so I, you know, I think in some ways what Ross is doing with this litigation is, I, I'm not sure how it'll turn out, but I think it's, it's, it's going to force the court to address questions that have been in a lot of people's minds for a long time in this industry and be interesting to see how it plays out. Remember, remember recently when, like, just, just so recently when the Supreme Court had to decide a case where a state government tried to call it terrorism for people to put public law out there. Amazing. <laughs> that actually happened. I, I, like uh, so many things have happened over the course of the last year that like it may have faded in your background, but a state government called it terrorism to put public law, make public law publicly available in a court filing at the Supreme Court. You have to refresh my recollection. I don't even know what you're talking about. What, what, what was that? That was the Georgia case where the Georgia state government tried they to argue terrorism? that it was. Yeah, they said that it was an, what's the exact word? It was an act of terrorism, a strategy of terrorism to try and put their private, their the documents they'd paid for because they used, rather than pay Lexus for access to it, they did it where they got it for free, but then to access the state, documents you paid Lexus that way uh, for the work they did on it. Uh, so it was a way in which Georgia could avoid paying uh, directly and pass it on. And people made the argument that maybe public law shouldn't be firewalled. And uh, they called that terrorist. That's how that's how much of a downward trend we've been on over the last year. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not going to say anything a, bad a, about That's a high point now that, that right. the Supreme Court did have that case. Yeah. I'm not going to say anything bad about Georgia right now. That's fair, right? Yeah, <laughs> I guess a, a lot has happened the last couple of years. So actually, there were patriots. Yeah. Yeah, uh, people, folks are mentioning in the in the chat that uh, about how Carl uh, wears that as a badge of honor at this at this point. I I I remember I'm being reminded of that. That was uh, that was pretty amazing. Yeah. 
Carl, Carl is a, a hero in this area, and in some ways an underappreciated and underacknowledged one because he's been, he's been uh, fighting this fight for a long time. He was the, he was the one who originally got uh, the USPTO to put up its, uh, or the SEC, the SEC, Edgar data, the Edgar database Edgar, is one yeah, thinking, exactly. the Edgar database online way back when. Um, by putting it up rebel. himself and shaming them into it. Was he a legal rebel? Speaking of legal rebels. He got rebels, a lot of flack for that. Uh, yeah, any other thoughts on uh, on, on uh, Thomson Reuters and West and Ross and where we, whether we have a monopoly uh, or not? Well, has anyone ever, I mean, I don't I don't really know the history or, or, or just of, uh, of this, but has anyone ever challenged either Thompson or or uh, or uh, Lexus for for like antitrust like like tendencies or or or, or behavior or whatnot? Has there has there has there ever been a case like that before before this one? I don't think there have been antitrust per se. I mean, they, they've been there have been copyright cases. Uh, yeah, that that kind of touch on it. Yeah, but I think they've almost all gotten settled out of court. I mean settled without an opinion of the court. I mean, they, there was the Lexus, Lexus and West had a big battle way back when, yeah. uh, which over, over like page numbering and, and that kind of stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't think anybody's really pushed this to a decision. And I, and I don't, it's hard to see how, how this litigation doesn't end in getting pushed to a decision at some point. It's, I can't quite imagine how, how it would settle out. This yeah, there's nothing case. to settle at this point, right? <laughs> kind of nothing to settle in a sense, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I think Andrew's here. He might he might tell us. Uh, otherwise, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's but, one of those like USFL things where like you know they get like a dollar and it gets it gets it gets trail trouble to like three three dollars or whatever. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um. Uh, well, it, since we just uh, alluded to the uh, legal rebels, uh, I know we touched on it a little bit, but Victor, they are now official now. Do you want to talk a little bit about it? Sure. Yeah. And uh, yeah, thanks, Molly, for teasing that last week uh, when I couldn't be here. But, uh, yeah, you know, this you know, brand spanking new edition of the ABA Journal, you know, uh, here in my hands. Obviously, if you can't, uh, if you can't get it, then they're, all, they're, all, they're available online. But, uh, yeah, I mean, one thing that uh, so when we were picking the, um, you know, the, the, between the ABA Journal and the ABA Center for Innovation, you know, we've been uh, betting, you know, the names and whatnot and, and, and uh, people. And, you know, we didn't want to do like a purely COVID edition of of, oh, these are the these are the people who have made a lot of great changes during COVID because we thought, okay, well, that would date everything. And also, you know, I think everyone's kind of sick of it at this point. Like, but on the other hand, you know, there were some undeniable um, innovations that, you know, were, were spurred because of COVID. And there were some things that were also in the works beforehand in, in, in courts like with Arizona and Utah and whatnot. So, so we, so the, the decision that we came to was just to kind of look at, um, you know, lawyers, legal professionals, technologists, People in the legal industry who have made, um, uh, you know, who have who helped bring about changes within in the in the court system itself, and some of them are COVID related, some of them are not. And um, you know, I think you know, ultimately, the list we came up with was a, was a pretty good cross section of that. And um, you know, we were we were pretty we were pretty happy with the result. And you know, so yeah, so check it out. <laughs> I mean, it, it just it's just fascinating to see. I made a comment on Twitter about this at some point that to see these judges who are leading the way in changing how we think about law when, you know, it really, I mean, I, I gave, I, I used to give a talk, you know, just, just a year or two ago, talk about how judges are in so many ways obstructing innovation and, and change in the legal profession. And in so many ways, they've really kind of stepped up 
to the forefront of, yeah. of, of driving this. And it's, it's really fascinating. Yeah, I said at one yeah, point we were was... thinking about just doing judges. Like we were thinking about just just having them all be be judges, but then we thought, nah, you know, let's 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 keep it open to other people who have made changes, who have helped bring about changes within while while keeping the whole court um, theme going. So so that was sort of the compromise that we came to that um, rather than just have it be focused just on judges, we would look at you know any any legal professional, lawyer or technologist who helped bring about changes in the court system. Yeah, yeah your comment, Bob, about the uh, about the kind of the irony of the judges. Um, was really really struck me too because it, it they really so the, especially the ones that were highlighted by the journal really took on a major leadership role uh, and 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 pushed forward uh, things that that were some of them like Victor said were already in the works but really made it made way set the path to accelerate. Yeah. I am curious too whether, just from a thirty thousand foot view, whether we've reached kind of a tipping point with judges looking at innovation in that way. Because, kind of to your point, Bob, it was three years ago. There weren't many judges. They talk about it, but there wasn't much action. But I think judges, just as a whole, have started to realize the power that they have to actually influence this type of change, and have realized, oh, if we implement this stuff, the attorneys will follow. Um, so now that you do have so many judges that are legal rebels, maybe you'll start to see that snowball catch speed a little bit, hopefully. Um, maybe some wishful thinking, but it's good wishful thinking. Well, yeah. I'll, I'll just say about Utah that so one of the things that it should make the bars really pay attention about what's happening in Utah is their their alternative dispute testing and piloting. And that was going on before the pandemic and before the pilots, too. And they're really seeing successes. And that does not involve attorneys. So the more they can, the courts adopt changes like this, um, the more that's going to transform um, tech use and adoption by consumers and anyone who touches the courts. Yeah. And, 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 I, and I, sorry. Go ahead. Well, I remember when I, when I actually, when I used to work for, at, uh, at ALM for, uh, you know, for, uh, for what was then, I guess, law technology news. Um, uh, one thing, you know, one thing that we were following very closely was the whole, like, you know, how come nobody's using predictive coding? How come no one's using, you know, those kind of tools for, for their e-discovery? And, you know, whenever we write about it and we talk to like lawyers, judges and whatnot, it was always, oh, well, we're just waiting for a judge to say it's okay. We're waiting for a judge to kind of give right. us the, give us the nod or give us the thumbs up that, that, that we're not going to get, you know, sued into oblivion for, for doing this or whatnot. So sometimes, yeah, I mean, all you need is just like, you know, a like, you know, a, a couple, a couple judges who are willing to say, okay, just do it. You know, just let's see what happens. You're not going to, you're not going to lose your license. You're not going to get sued. You're not going to, you know, <laughs> get inundated with, well, you, you might still get inundated with angry comments online, but um, you know, it, it, you know, they're not, they're not, they're not going to have a, have a deleterious effect on your, on, on your ability to practice, practice law. So, yeah. so, Hey, everybody, we finally found a good reason to have spent the last four years filling the court with 34 year olds. So <laughs> we've got people who understand computers and texts. It's going to be great, everybody. Yeah. Well, it's, it's I, certainly it certainly can't be doubted that the the embracing by the judiciary of online proceedings and hearings is I think it's going to have a tremendous effect in the litigation arena because you know it's it's going to force lawyers to to do things online and maybe more importantly it's going to let clients who pay the bills realize the efficiencies and, and advantages of online proceedings. So 
I think it's great that the judiciary is, is embracing this and dragging the legal world in with it. Yeah. I would also just that, mention that in terms uh, of the uh, um, judges uh, uh, innovating, a, a shout out should be made to the uh, Supreme Court, the former Supreme Court of Washington State many years ago when they started the Triple LT program there, which is now been shut down. But I mean, that was over the bar's opposition. The bar was fighting the idea of starting that program. And the, the Washington Supreme Court really took the reins to say, we need to do something innovative because the access to justice problem is so great in the state. We need to try and experiment with this kind of a different model. Uh, so, I mean, that was something that the Supreme Court initiated and did over the bar's objection. Uh, and that was, I'll again, say, well before COVID. I'll say about that, though, that one thing that... Um, one thing about Washington, and so I'm originally from Oregon, so uh, this speaks from a Pacific Northwest thing. There's something to be said for those states where the Supreme Court kind of needs to act as the referee over the bar because you end up in those states with, there's a weird like power imbalance between people on one side of the Cascades and the other. Uh, and though, And a lot of what was important about that program was it allowed people in those rural sides, we always think about Seattle and Portland, but the large swath of the rural started part of the state is nowhere near anything. And a lot of what was useful about that was creating a situation where they had help. And right. the balance of power is pushed towards the more metropolitan area. But like, it, it was kind of nice that somebody said, well, wait a minute. No, uh, somebody 200 miles from a lawyer needs to have someone to talk to. Right. Yeah. Well, and when you hear Bridget McCormick talk about this, that's that's exactly what she says. They they were trying to reach the rural areas and, you know, get people who were traveling two and three, four hours uh, or required for a court hearing to not have to do that. So it's uh, with kiosks and centers, and you know that's why that's why they already had the infrastructure in place before the pandemic. Yeah. And to Molly's point about like Utah a few years ago starting their alternative dispute resolution online, um, Manhattan Civil Court earlier this week, they also announced a program where you can um, do online, do small claims litigation online if it's under like a $10,000, I believe, amount. So they didn't specifically mention COVID-19, but they said this is like an opportune moment given the pandemic and like the logistic demands. So I think like COVID-19, like we kind of like overuse that term accelerated tech use. I think for judges is also told them like, okay, we need to, for a health concern reasons, we need to kind of find more creative ways to get people the um, legal services that services that they need, but not necessarily in a courtroom. And I think maybe this is something this is something that we'll see continue beyond COVID-19, but I think COVID-19 might've been kind of like that kick in the pants to say like, hey, let's try something a little bit different. Even if you're still seeing lawyers saying, hey, virtual trials or virtual proceedings suck, I think judges are maybe saying like, we need to look at this a little bit differently. And that might be kind of like the push that we see like this actually catching on after uh, COVID-19 subsides. So having promised that we were going to get to rants and raves, I want to make sure we leave time for that. But I don't know, was it, Nikki, did you want to talk? You had a, another story you wanted to talk about. Uh, did you want to hit on that quick? Or? Well, it, I, I mean, it's just, it kind of, kind of segues off of what we're talking about now. It was um, just about the uh, one thing I'm curious about that uh, I've actually been raising on Clubhouse, which is something someone in the Q&A just wondered if we wanted to talk about, is just whether this virtual trend is going to, it was an ABA journal article about whether the virtual law trend in general 
is going to continue and after COVID. And I think it's, there's no answer. It was just an interesting piece on um, asking the question and showing some examples of how different lawyers were working uh, remotely and um, getting work done. And one of the things that they said was that uh, clients are getting used to it. And that used to be part of the pushback was clients don't like it. Clients don't wanna meet over Zoom and now everyone's used to it. And so maybe that's gonna be part of what's gonna get us over that hurdle. I don't know what that is. Um, wow. Uh, I think I'm getting a phone call. Let me. I can't, we can't uh, hear it. So we're good. Okay. All right. I'm getting like a phone call from my, on my email. I have a Google voice. There must be someone come call my Google voice number. I don't know. Um, that never happens. But anyway, um, I thought that was really interesting. And, uh, and the other thing that I think it's, we've already, we've already talked about clubhouse, um, previously, but at the, um, uh, I can't recall, I think, was it Samina who asked the question? I'm, um, in any event, I think Clubhouse is really interesting. It's worth just mentioning really ten, uh, quickly that Clubhouse is gaining a ton of traction. Yes, yeah, Samina mentioned it with um, lawyers and legal tech folks and legal professionals in general. And it's a wonderful app. It's a great way to just strike up these conversations with all these people in the space whenever you happen to have some time to do it or if you're bored or um, I'm meeting all these people and interacting with people I haven't seen in years. It kind of feels like you're at a conference and these conversations are wonderful because you really get to hear people talk, uh, really um, uh, people that really know what they're talking about, um, have these really interesting intellectual discussions with people or just be a fly on the wall. Yesterday, I jumped into a criminal justice reform um, room for a little while and there was a man who just gotten released from federal prison. He'd been there for like 12 years. And he was just talking about his experiences trying to sort of reintegrate into society and the things he learned in prison. And like, how often do you get to um, hear someone just off the cuff, drop in and listen to someone talking about those experiences. So I love Clubhouse. And I think that it has so much potential for lawyers just to enjoy themselves, especially during COVID, but even afterwards. I don't know if, how many of you have really been on there often. I've seen Molly, Molly was in one of the rooms the other day. That was a lot of fun. We're gonna be co-hosting something with Carolyn on uh, uh, tomorrow, on Saturday. Just asking lawyers, how are you getting through the pandemic? What are you doing? Whether it's emotionally or practically speaking, what are they doing to practice? So um, that's at four o'clock Eastern time tomorrow um, in Clubhouse. But I think it's great. I don't know what you guys think, but before we get into our rants, I thought that was an interesting thing to throw out there and talk about. Nikki, you just stole my rave. That was gonna be my my rave. So. Oh, well, you could still rave the about program's it. program's falling yeah. apart already. Already done. <laughs> <laughs> We haven't I'm even sorry. started and it's ruined. Come on. <laughs> I, you know, I, I don't want to get, I, I'm loving Clubhouse. So you, you can rant, um, you can rant about Nikki then. Um, right. I just ranted about Nikki because she stole my idea, but um, I do, I, I am really enjoying Clubhouse. It's, I've been calling it my new talk radio. I can just uh, dial in anytime I have time or I'm on a walk or want to have some noise while I'm in my, um, my, uh, Administ doing administrative work it's been it's been fun and i and i've learned a ton i like went into a random digital marketing uh session the other day with people who are like represent mariah carey and <laughs> it's like are you kidding me i would never have that access and it was yeah. so and the lessons are the same on you know do 
pitching to media and it, it's amazing how much crossover there is even when you're pitching to about these kind of high level things so i have a serious question about this so i i've got it i haven't really joined anything yet because for me maybe it's just like the nature of my network it, it seems like it's conversations between like three people that i know like in a room chatting like but no very tangentially and i feel like i'm crashing it if i show up like is that is that like not what all of it is or like it, it's weird like it's so walk me through this so it doesn't seem awkward if you're just listening in not at all okay. that's the, okay. the whole intent is just you can just i do want to throw out there make sure that you're careful about the rooms that you go to because there's all okay. sorts of like you know bdsm rooms or whatever which is fine if you want to go there but just know that when people join they can push the screen over and see where all their friends are. So all, they can see that you're hanging out there, which is fine if you're okay with that, but just know that ahead of time. Some people don't realize yeah, my, that. My group are like four people that I tangentially know. So I'm like, <laughs> that seems like I'd be weird to fly on the wall on that, but okay. Well, that's, you should definitely good. follow a few people that are outside your- um, Right, okay. Some of the recommendations because you get some interesting, um, you find when they're in interesting rooms, you find out about it. But when you show up, the whole point of it is the people on the stage are talking. You can raise your hand to go up on the stage, but you don't have to. Okay. And um, you can, uh, there's all sorts of different ways that you can interact or just listen. And it's not awkward at all or weird at all. I mean, that's mm -hmm. what the app's all about. Cool. All right. I've had sort of the opposite. I, well, maybe not the opposite, a similar experience. I, I haven't done that much of it yet, but I've had the, a couple of occasions where I go into a room thinking, I just kind of want to like sit there and listen to something and they'll like be, oh, look, Bob's here. Let's bring him up on stage and ask him <laughs> to comment on whatever we're talking about. I'm like, no, I don't want to. <laughs> it's not what yeah, I'm Yeah, there's no for. way for Bob. Bob needs to join under like some kind of pseudonym so that um, yeah. you can actually use that feature. Yeah. Well, you should it as Mick Jagger then, you know, that would- Yeah, that would, I'll just do Mick know. Jagger. That's somebody they don't know. All right, we got to do some ransom raise because we're we're going to try and do it. So, okay, so we sort of already did one. <laughs> yeah. But uh, let's see if anybody else has any ransom raves to do because we don't even know that yet. But Joe, you must have a rant. You always got a rant. Yeah, I have a few. Um, well, so I, <laughs> I, I just wanted to catalog. I know that Mick Jagger thing kind of did it, but like, for next week, we need to go through what Bob's alter ego should be. Uh, so let, let, let's all brainstorm, and then we can do that next week. Uh, two, uh, so I- have gone from Walter Cronkite to uh, Mick Jagger. I don't know. So I, I have some, um, <laughs> I, I have a rant, although I'm going to rave. I feel like a lot of people are negative. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring some positivity. I'm so happy to see Blackberries back. Oh, Blackberry. Uh, for those of us lawyers of a certain age, it, we have fond memories of carrying this thing around everywhere we go, having it go off at three in the morning while you're trying to sleep to tell you to get back to the office. And it's back. And it's back because of Reddit. And Reddit's, it, it's the, whereas most of the world is talking about GameStop, right in the background, there's Blackberry getting a lot of attention. And I will say, having talked with BlackBerry people over the last few years, while BlackBerry itself is not so much of a company anymore, they are doing some interesting things, uh, mostly by licensing out some of their technology, but doing stuff that allows you to take your phone and firewall it off such that you can get your work stuff to your phone, your 
phone that's not BlackBerry. Uh, you can get your work stuff to it and have it be sequestered from everything else you do uh, so that it can still be a real work thing without interfering with the rest of your life get new numbers for it, et cetera. And I think that's cool. And um, it's something that's useful. And I think that uh, it's nice that even though that may not be the reason why Reddit has decided to blow up BlackBerry stock to on probably deserved heights, uh, it's nice to see. Yeah. And, and how's your game GameStop stock doing right now? <laughs> oh my God. I, I did not, <laughs> I did not get in on any of that, but I am absolutely the person that had I read it when they first put that up. I don't read Reddit very much. I am exactly the age where I'm too Reddit doesn't make sense to me, but oh my, if I'd have seen the, I've seen, I've now read the original post where the person said we should all buy GameStop and had I, I know for a fact, had I read that at the time, I would have been, yeah, that makes sense. I'd totally do that. So, yeah. 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 All right. Anybody else got a rant or a rave? Yeah, I guess. Um, yeah. Uh, sorry. Zach, go ahead. Oh, no. I was just going to say uh, it's kind of a mini rant, but uh, pre next week. Um, so the main thing that I'm worried about with Legal Week New York is there is a function in there to have meetings and send meeting invites, but in doing so, you can see literally the list of everybody who is registered for the conference, and you hypothetically can send anybody a meeting invite. There is going to be a temptation to do Control F General Counsel and send meeting invites to every single one. Don't do that. Don't be a jerk. Don't send meeting invites if you are just spamming. Please do not spam and use it for its intended purpose. Thank you. I'm inviting them all to next week's roundtable. I had a rant that is just basic. I just wish lawyers would stop doing stupid stuff online, whether it's <laughs> Zoom. Well, that's kind of broad. <laughs> Just, and this is now the final episode of <laughs> I keep like the one that really annoyed me this week I mean there are a whole bunch of this week all these like Facebook related issues like thing people posting things on Facebook some were like election related or politics related which I kind of get like them doing inappropriate things or sometimes lawyers posting things that were like you know threatening officials, I don't know. But the one that really bugged me, I think it was from an ABA journal article where um, somebody had their license suspended because they basically walked someone through how to kill somebody and have it be justified on Facebook, like publicly. Like they're just posting like, here's how, you know, they, I think that the idea was the person was joking that they hated their ex. And so they like jokingly helped them understand how they could kill them and claim justification. And the guy got his license suspended. But I just, I just think they're all being stupid. Like, I think they, no one is thinking before they interact or the people that are, I don't know, walking around naked on Zoom, going to the bathroom on Zoom, getting, you know, their boyfriend calling onto their desk on Zoom. I don't know. Like, I don't understand why they can't just kind of behave themselves. Just have a meeting. The yeah. <laughs> so so are, you, are you referring to, to some lawyer that might stand up in a crowd of people that are ready to do violence and say trial by combat? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right i don't know like what the Gi giuliani did that right yeah like i just i don't understand what everybody's 
I, I hate to offend anybody from Florida it. who might be on this conference, but if you go through the Florida bar where they list all their sort of discipline against lawyers, there's just case after case of like really stupid Facebook things that, that happen. I, I, something, I don't know whether it's just because Florida reports them more publicly or, or whether it's just because it's Florida, but. I mean, there, there is a meme called Florida man and Florida right. lawyer is absolutely our corollary, our personal yeah. corollary. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Any other rants or raves? I got Not one. so much, but I was <laughs> okay. going to, uh, in honor of my, of my favorite Andy Rooney bit, I was going to take a, take a, take a, a can of uh, mixed nuts and then count out like each type of nut to make sure there really was a mix of them, <laughs> uh, which he actually did on 60, on an episode of 60 minutes. Um, but I, I, I figured I'd spare you guys from that. All right. <laughs> and I'll I'll save Steve? I'll I'll save mine for next week then. <laughs> Why did it involve nuts? No, go ahead. You no, we're it. almost out of time. <laughs> oh, well, I'm not going to save mine because I was I, I had I was just I, this is a a really petty uh, journalist rant, but it's it's about embargoes because uh, I I recently had an occasion, and some of you might might know what I'm talking about. I won't name names, but. Uh, in in which I mean we all deal with embargoes we, all the time we're getting given news and people say you know this is embargoed until such and such a time on such and such a day and I respect that and I and I and in respecting that I expect uh, the the uh, company or PR person or whoever who has asked me to respect that to also respect that uh, and uh, there was there was a, one this week where. I was told a certain time that it was embargoed too, and then I uh, then I got this cryptic email saying, "And don't forget, it's embargoed until such and such a time," which was totally different from what they had told me before. And I wrote to them and saying, "Well, what time is it embargoed to?" And then they never responded. And then uh, I the the story ends up getting reported on the company website and in other media at least six hours before what they had said the uh, embargo time was going to be. Uh, and uh, so that pissed me off. <laughs> I, and I, I don't, I just don't, I don't get it. I mean, if they're going to ask for an embargo, why not have an embargo? If they want to just have it be a free for all, then let's have it be a free for all. But I, I have uh, one of my pet peeves right now with that is the, the, um, if 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 somebody's posting something on um, Twitter or somewhere inviting you to a, to something that's live now, um, and this happened with a, one of the Clio tech reports, um, I they I didn't know it was embargoed. It, it was supposed to be this briefing for bar professionals. I didn't I actually didn't know that it was just for bar professionals, but it was totally open and the link was open. And Patrick Callis I think invited everyone, so I came in and I started tweeting it live. And they're like, oh, this is embargoed. I'm like, really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I've gotten that too. But they tell you after the fact or. Uh... <laughs> right. So <laughs> yeah, embargoes are tricky and not always necessary. Um, so. Yeah. I actually read, you know, it's, it, I, I haven't really thought about it, but when you asked that question, I thought about, I saw a uh, story in a mainstream outlet recently where somebody said, and we're doing it, somebody had written in like Huffington Post or something like that. And at this point, the source said this was going to be under wraps until next Friday. And I was like, and then why didn't you respect that? I never, I never got the close to that loop because I mean, I like, I don't break news in that sort of way. So I respect all the ones that I get, but like, 
I, I was like, what, what's the trigger? What, what, what am I missing that I should know about? Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm being somewhat hypocritical too, because as much as I respect them, if, if, if they want to give it to me ahead of the time that they're embargoing it for everybody else, right. I'll gladly take it. So, all right. I think that's about all the time we have for today. So uh, thanks to everybody. And uh, we'll be back again next week and see what's happened then. Thanks, everybody. Hi, everybody. Have a great weekend, all.